Well, hello there, and welcome to Real Relationship Talk. I'm your host, Dana Shea, and you guys, I'm so excited because today is the very first episode where I am in my brand new podcast studio. My husband is just such a gem, and I had been talking to him about needing a podcast studio because you guys, you might not realize this, but people do podcasts in some strange places. Like, I have heard of people recording podcasts in their bathrooms out of their cars. Some people are in their garages and some people like me actually record their podcasts out of their closets. And so as I'm sitting here trying to drop all of this knowledge on y'all about marriages and relationships, I'm like, ooh, look at that shirt. It still has the tags on it. I forgot I even bought that shirt. So yeah, it was definitely time for an upgrade. And so I had been talking to Sean about renting, actually renting a podcast studio in my local area but not really wanting to do that because sometimes people need to record at nine o'clock at night and I don't want to have to drive somewhere to do that. So make a long story short, there is an area in my house that was just perfect for a build out. And so we just completed the build out. I'm so excited. Now the acoustics have not yet been set up. So if I sound a little echoey on this episode, that's why. So we're still working all that out, but it's still an incredible episode. And so speaking of that, today I have the privilege to bring to you guys a couple who I have known since I was a teenager. Mark and Don Lawrence, used to be youth pastors at the church that we all used to attend. And I was one of those kids who just watched their marriage from afar. They didn't even know me, y'all, because I was too shy to actually join the youth group. I know that that's going to be hard for some of you to believe that I was shy, but I was. I didn't know anybody at that church. And so they didn't even know me, but I knew them. And so that's just a little tidbit right there that some of y'all, you have people looking at your marriages and watching you and watching your relationships. Even if you're single, you have people that are watching you and watching your lifestyle and you don't even know it. And so I was one of those who just basically used to watch the Lawrences. I loved how he used to talk to her and how she used to talk to him. And and that was just really important to me as a young person to see this couple just live in such a way. And so we are going to have a conversation today, you guys, about some of the lies that the church has taught us, maybe not directly or on purpose, but maybe what's some of the misinformation that we received, or maybe there were churches that didn't teach us at all. And so we're having to struggle to find out what sex and marriage really looks like. Does God really want us to enjoy sex? Like, is he actually there watching us? And we're also going to talk to the Lawrences about how they have managed to keep their sexy going for 35 years. They have been married for 35 wonderful years. And of course, there are no perfect marriages, but I really believe that you're going to glean a lot of wisdom that the Lawrences have to share. If you've not gone on realrelationshiptalk.com, be sure to visit my website because I have links to all the resources that the Lawrences share in the show notes. Every single podcast episode comes with show notes. So make sure that you're visiting realrelationshiptalk.com so that you can get all of that valuable wisdom to add to your repertoire. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation today with Mark and Don Lawrence. Well, I'm just so excited to have both Mark and Dawn Lawrence here with us today. I have known the Lawrences since I was a teenager, 
And I've just been able to see your example really up close and personal, even from a young woman to now an older young woman. (laughs) And I appreciate just so much your example. I appreciate your consistency. You've always just been real consistent with marriages and what you believe as far as the purpose for the family. And that's just been a huge example to me. So thank you guys so much for being here today. Welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I wanted to have this conversation, especially with you two, because like I just said, I know that you've been real consistent and dedicated to seeing marriages thrive and also to seeing marriages just really being able to operate on the purpose and design that God intended. So, so many people get married for lots of different reasons nowadays. Sometimes people rush into marriage. Sometimes people think that they're prepared and they're not. So I'm curious to find out from you all, what would you say the purpose of marriage is? Well, starting in the beginning and the beginning being in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, it talks about, you know, it's for the purposes of really procreation. God created Adam and Eve. Um, He told them to really just procreate. But it's so much more than that. We have limited it, you know, especially certain segments of our society to, you know, just not much beyond procreation, but really uh, we see sex and marriage is the real covenant seal of marriage. It's, it's really designed to glorify God. God created this wonderful system that yes, we could. And of course we don't have the problem that Adam and Eve did in terms of populating the earth, but um, beyond procreation, it's, it's this wonderful central bond to flesh becoming mm-hmm. one. So in his divine order, it was it was him bringing two people together and really literally making them one. And also the purpose of marriage is that exclusive oneness. You know, me for you, you for me, and us keeping what we believe about our love together. You know, keeping us in a place where we can um, start a family and kind of raise this family and, and just develop, re- reproduce ourselves. So... Um, but I, I think before you get to the reproduction of self, it's all about cultivating a relationship with mm-hmm. one person who uh, is exclusively for you and you for them. And you honoring those vows, those marriage vows and saying, uh, I, I do. But what I do, what I'm saying I do, too, is I do you. You do me. We do each other. We stay together and we develop this thing called marriage. Yeah, I love the word develop, you know, and oneness. And I feel like in our society right now, I just feel like marriage has been all about like my happiness. So if I'm not happy anymore, then maybe you're not the right person for me and I'm going to leave you and go find somebody else who does make me happy. And so when you speak of this developing, Dawn, can you maybe like tease that out a little bit more? Like how has marriage developed you? Well, um, you know, when I first got married, I was this this skinny little young lady with dreams and ambitions and goals. But because I had grown up in a home where I'd seen a great marriage, I had an idea and I had uh, some concepts in my mind about what marriage really was. And what I saw was my mother and father serving Mm -hmm. each other. That's good. And so when I said, oh, yes, I want to get married, I was saying, I want to serve somebody. I want to not be selfish and, and, and it'll be all about me. Um, I want to develop my ability to meet the needs of someone else. And uh, we come here selfish. One of the first words babies say mm-hmm. is mine. 
You know, I mean, how can anything be yours? You just got here. You can't buy anything. You can't you can't leverage any. But but mine, you know, but when you talk about developing um, yourself for marriage, you're talking about serving someone. You're talking about um, investment into a relationship. Uh, We're talking about developing your ability to listen and support and not always be the one talking but listening and supporting. Um, so the development is built over time. And so from, you know, all my life, I've seen a wonderful marriage. And then I said, Lord, when I get married, I want a marriage that will bless you and bless others. And I want to be blessed too, because I feel like we have to help each other. So many did not mm-hmm. see what I saw. So I feel I have a responsibility to be vocal and to share those things to help other people because you, you're only as good as That's your right. teacher. If no one taught you, how yeah. do you know? So, but the development it takes time to work some things out of, you know, who you think you are and who you want to be in this marriage. It's good. And interestingly, interestingly, Dana, Dawn and I grew up in the same state in different cities. Okay. So um, I also, there was a great model, a marriage model to me, my parents. I remember thinking as a 10, 11, 12 year old boy, I couldn't wait to grow up and get married. I saw a partnership with my mother and father. I saw a friendship. And little did we know, we found out much later after we started dating that our parents knew each other since they were like teenagers or since they were very young adults. So we both were blessed to have these wonderful marriages modeled to us. So it was those particular things that she just talked about, that uh, the partnership and the, the, the connection that I also wanted in a marriage. That's so important. And, you know, you both bring up a really great point, which is, you know, what is caught a lot of times is more important than what is taught. And a lot of people have not grown up. I mean, I certainly did not grow up seeing a healthy marriage. And so what I did, not even consciously realizing, I don't think as a 13 year old kid what I was doing, but what I was doing was I was seeking out couples, my friends, parents, people who I saw who had solid marriages, people in the church who I saw like, oh, wow, they have a really good marriage. You know, I would say something like, I like how that husband treats his wife. Like, I like how that wife talks to her husband. And I don't know if, again, that was like maybe because God saw, you know, he knew the purpose that he had for my life. And so he was placing these people around me. But I think about folks who grew up in dysfunctional homes. And technically, I guess we all kind of have some dysfunction, but I'm talking about dysfunctional homes where they didn't have any sort of example. And this is why I think the church can be a great place, an incubator of sorts, if you will. Okay, maybe our family wasn't healthy. Maybe the marriage you saw wasn't a good example, but hey, come look at our marriage. Come look and see how God intended for marriage to be. And this is why I believe that we have to be more vocal in the church on talking about topics like sex. And that's what this whole series is about. So I want to know from you all, why do you think the church is so uncomfortable talking about sex, whether it's from the platform or in general? It's not like most churches have sex seminars or workshops. So why would you say that sex is still a taboo topic in the church? Raised in a traditional Pentecostal church. And of course, the emphasis was being spiritual, learning the Bible, talking about God, salvation. And and there was really ignorance. There was mm-hmm. ignorance in that they never wanted to engraft or add uh, a very important part of uh, your human, human living and about sensuality, about our sex, because there was shame attached to that. They were untaught. Yeah. So right. they brought what they had. I, I really believe, uh, you know, my, my forefathers did what they 
did what they understood was best in terms of emphasizing the word of God in there. But but the, it was taboo to talk about sex uh, in church. It was taboo to to go uh, anything even attached to that. Now the problem with that was it wasn't being talked about at home either. So mm-hmm. you either had to figure it out as a young person. You had to figure it out on your own through friends, locker room talk, you know, on the street. They were all bad negative influences. But attached to the church, there was, I'm just going to say these two words, shame and ignorance. Right. Yes. And I think that there were no platforms ever created to to really talk about uh, sexuality because very few people were comfortable talking about it. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of perpetuated. And I said, I feel like the role of the church is changing. The role of the church has got to become more progressive. And I believe just like, you know, in examples different ones in the scriptures who Daniel, he was, uh, he was uh, committed to God, but he also knew how to sit at the table. He was wise. He knew how to answer questions. He knew how to solve political issues. And so his promotion was not because he was a believer. His promotion was because of the spirit of excellence was rested on him. And I believe the church, people in the church, leaders in the church have to get comfortable with addressing issues so that People know about purchasing a home, uh, you know, sexuality, um, you know, just how, how to do, how to function in life, not just right. church. We've kind of yeah. isolated ourselves to, you know, pigeonhole ourselves to just that. But there's so much more that people need instruction on. And so a lot, a lot was not said in church because no one felt comfortable talking about it. Now, my mother and father, they talked about it with us. And so now we're free to talk about sex and intimacy and, you know, uh, uh, all the things I, I can recall someone saying the other day that um, the 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 daughter came home and said, mom, she asked the question, mom, what's a blowjob? And the mother, being a believer, said, that's filthy. That's disgusting. Don't you ever say that again? I mean, she crushed her mm-hmm. instead of using it as a teachable moment. Right, right. Then you, you know, you're able to say, well, sweetheart, I, I, we'll have a conversation. I want to talk to you about that. But so, so many, because of their own fear, they, mm-hmm. they just don't, they just, so no one has said anything about sex. And, and even after you have, you know, you lived your life uh, and now it's time to get married. What is being said to young pers- persons about preparing for sexuality with your spouse? No, you're so frightened. You're so tabooed. You're so, uh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't know anything. You know, you just almost like, a, you know, you're a misfit mm-hmm, and you're really mm-hmm. not prepared for engaging in a relationship when, when you could have been coached all along. Fellas, are you sick of your wife being too tired for sex? Ladies, do you get annoyed that all your husband seems to want is sex? What if you could take your intimate connection to the next level? I want to teach you about making love outside of the bedroom. Come learn how to make your lovemaking sessions last all day long. Join my hubby Sean and I for a hot and spicy virtual workshop on Tuesday, February 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll help you and your spouse to rekindle those loving feelings you felt when you first came together and make your marriage exciting again. Come with your spouse or come by yourself. 
Register today for the virtual workshop at danishay.com slash workshops. Whether you've been married for 30 days or 30 years, you won't want to miss this workshop. Register now at danashay.com slash workshops because it's time you made your marriage bed great again. And I think a lot of times I'm wondering if people take that scripture of Song of Solomon out of context where it says, you know, do not awaken love before it's time or desire. And I'm wondering if that's the sort of reason why many, uh, many of these pastors or ministers or leaders have not had these conversations about sex because they feel like if we talk about it, it's going to make people want to do it more. But I find that the opposite is actually true. I feel like when you don't talk about something, you create more mystery around it. You create more more desire toward that thing. And like you all, my mother was very vocal about sex with me. She was very open. Any question, like there's no question that was off limits. And so anything I wanted to know, she would answer. And she would answer in very matter-of-fact terms. And my mom never blushed. Um, And I remember having a conversation with her now because now as a mom myself, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I was thinking this whole thing would be like a piece of cake because of how my mom raised me. But I get it. Like talking about sex with your children and I guess talking about it in church is not that comfortable for most of us. And so I appreciate that because I think me growing up in the church setting that I grew up in, where we were taught that sex is a sin outside of marriage and you're supposed to save your body for marriage. And that's fine, but that was pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And so there was real, really no real talk about the beauty or the enjoyment of sex. And to be honest, I felt like women were oppressed in marriage because of this idea that the woman is only there to serve the husband. And so I was like, well, we're going to have to come up with some different theology because, you know, as a young person, I just didn't feel that that was really right. And so in different church settings, I've been able to glean from different leaders who haven't necessarily felt or believed that or taught that. And that's been a blessing, you know. Uh, my previous church and the current church that I'm in, you know, our leaders really model good, healthy marriages, which is so important. And I'm so grateful for that. But I'm just thinking about maybe what are some of the lies that we have believed in church or maybe that were taught? I just said one of them, uh, whether it was explicitly taught or whether, again, I kind of caught it, which was a woman, you know, as a woman, you were meant to serve your husband's sexual needs and you really don't have needs uh, sexually of your own. And that was just a lie that I believe that I had to uncover. So what about you? What have you had to uncover? The prominent lies I think about is uh, sex is dirty. Uh, God hates sex. When the very opposite is is true, sex is sex and lovemaking in the context of marriage is beautiful. God specifically and intentionally designed this wonderful, you know, wonderful physical connection for for men and women for pleasure for for to to like I said earlier to reflect His glory to us. And you know, going back to you know the lies of the church and how we deal with that, you know, many many years ago uh, when I was new in ministry as a youth pastor and my wife. Were, with me, with the youth, you know, we saw, first of all, we saw how the young people were interacting with each other, you know, picking the girls up, hugging them and squeezing them. And we were like, eh. mm-hmm. so long story short, we began to uh, write a curriculum about abstinence, 
before, you know, saving yourself for marriage, but it was called trained. To I remember. Abstain. So it wasn't just don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But we did it to, first of all, to combat the lies, mm-hmm. but to arm these young people with information, with right. knowledge. So we started these classes and they were wonderful. It was like, you know, four weeks on Saturday morning. We saw parents so happy. They were dropping their kids off, skid marks, getting mm-hmm. away. But then we saw after after the first uh, couple months, we saw that the parents really were not having conversations. The parents didn't know. The parents use it, weren't using the, the, the correct body part names for the body mm-hmm. parts. So we we design we redesigned the course to be for children and parents, teenagers and parents. You could not drop your child off. If you wanted your child to go through it, you had to go That's through good. it. Too. We opened the general session, then we split them up in second set into different sections. So it was then when we began to arm the parents. We had a, a artist rendition of the human body with all of the names, all the anatomical names, and the parents. Uh, assignment that week was to learn all those names and then have that conversation with their son or daughter about the proper names and the proper usage of the reproductive system. And so it was, it was one of those, that, that was one of the things we did to not just combat the lies, but to really build a foundation of, of information and knowledge and understanding. That's good. Forward. That's so good. Yes. One of the other lies is that um, sex is only for having mm-hmm. children. You know, just you just you can only do it to 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 make a baby, and after that, no. You know, th- these are so ancient and um, old um, um, wives' tales, actually. That uh, some some have perpetrated over the years about sex, and and that you can't do, you can't have fun with it. They don't mm-hmm. realize that God made it. God sees you. Right. God's there, you know. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's right there when you're doing it, and you know, just that thought is like. <laughs> like God, like God is saying, you two again? What? <laughs> right. What? You know? No, I made you like this. This is part of part of who I made you. That's and right. um, and I think that the freedom we have about sharing with young people that this appetite, this desire for intimacy came from God. That's right. You know, when I when I say that, I said God cares about every appetite you have from the from the what you eat to your libido. Mm-hmm. He cares about that. He cares about, you know, he gave you the urge to merge with someone to get the next generation here. What if we never, ever had the desire for intimacy? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, we might all just die off. But God gave us that. That came from God. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. But it, it does need to be. uh you need to be taught how to handle it and when when it's appropriate to release that mm-hmm. and when it's appropriate not to release it. You know, there needs to be some teaching so that you're not just, you know, just with any and everybody fulfilling this desire. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to piggyback off of that, Don, because I think you bring up just, you know, we all know that even though we know what God's word says about sex, but maybe you don't, maybe you're listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking, uh, I don't know, what are you guys talking about? What's wrong with it? You know, if I want to have sex with the guy that I'm at the club, like what's wrong with that? But we believe that God's word is very clear about sexual integrity, if you will, and how we are to operate if we're going to call ourselves Christian believers. So I think sadly in the church, there's just so much misinformation 
addiction and sexual dysfunction. Like there are people who are confused about the purpose of sex, which is why we open up the podcast talking about that. Then there are other people who just straight up don't believe that you have to wait to have sex in marriage. Um, There are people who do believe that, but then they're struggling. Maybe they've tasted of the forbidden fruit, quote unquote, and now they're struggling. Um, People who have gender identity issues and same-sex attractions. And we're not really talking about any of that in the church. And it's feeding the cycle of shame, to be honest. And I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't believe that the majority of Christians are just out here like, yeah, I'm going to live it up and just do whatever I want to do. I don't care. I believe that most people who call themselves Christians have some sort of conviction when they're not doing something right. And not even just with sex, like it could be with not treating your neighbor right or not managing your finances well. So on one hand, people are being taught incorrectly, but then I think that there are some who are not being taught at all. So what do you think, and I guess I should say, why do you think that there has been so much permissiveness in the church? Like, why do you think that there are so many people who are falling sexually, including Christian leaders? It's not like a couple months goes by that we're not seeing another Christian leader who's having an affair or another Christian leader who's been living this whole secret life out here. And it's discouraging. And I think it's so discouraging for those of us who are in the church because we are like, wait a minute. Like, you're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to be the one that's really championing this cause. And so I know that that's a loaded question, but like, there's so much confusion out there and so many things that are happening right now. So why do you think there's so much of that happening in the church today? Sure. It's kind of sad to live in a church culture where you see uh, prominent pastors and bishops, you know, marry and divorce two or three times. Uh, You see uh, other leaders fall and you know, we've seen that in the last couple of decades, but it's hit me very hard in the last, you know, five to six, five to seven years. Personal friends of mine who I've been very, who I've been very close to and worked and labored in ministry and, and leave their wives, get, mm. get involved in extramarital relationships. And I don't think there's any one pat answer, but some of the things that have come to my desktop is this is a lack of accountability. Now I'm talking about from male to male. Um, there were times when we would we we had these close, intimate male relationships where we were accountable, we were honest, we were open about our struggles to each other. But um, in in a couple of cases, as those gentlemen got more busy, as they got more prominent, as they became more powerful, um, as they became more affluent, mm. uh, that accountability factor literally disappeared. Right. So there were so now there's nobody to check them, there's nobody to correct them, there's nobody to ask questions. Hey man, why are you? Why, why are you taking your secretary out, you know, by yourself? Or why are you counseling females by yourself? Uh, so when there's no accountabilities, then the boundaries begin to disappear. So no accountabilities, no boundaries. And you couple that with pride, you know, because now I am the doctor, so-and-so, bishop, reverend, pastor, whatever. Right. And I really believe the enemy slowly and subtly sets these guys up for failure. And in many cases, that's the result. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people... They come to know the Lord as personal Lord and Savior, and they think that they are stronger than they really are. Mm, And they don't allow the process of sanctification where that's where, you know, there's a there's a particular verse that says that um, in uh, Psalms 19 about how the soul needs to be converted. And it's the the law of the Lord that will convert the soul. And so as you read the word of God, as you fellowship with other believers, as you stay in a place, I believe layers come off of your 
your when I talk about the soul, I'm talking about your mind, your will, your affections, your emotions, your logic, how you judge and things that you, you know, kind of gotten from the world or along the way that may not necessarily be right. And then you're 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 allowing these things to um, to influence your decision making and making you believe you're stronger than you really are. But but God's coming after all of that and all of us. He doesn't want you to put your trust in you. That's right. You know, because we always say we don't trust our flesh any further than we can throw it. Mm. Because we know this flesh wants whatever it wants when it wants it. And so you have to kind of keep it aligned and keep it in check and keep it, make it behave. And my sister has this saying, she says, every now and and again, I have to tell myself, we got saved. All of us. We got saved, you know, we <laughs> gave our heart to Jesus. So I just feel like there is this um, false, this false humility and this falseness about many of us where we think we're stronger than we really are. And um, given opportunity, this flesh will do whatever it's big enough to do. So I believe that's why a lot of pastors and leaders, they trust themselves in places where they really shouldn't because flesh is just that flesh. And it will, it will do. And I mean, the, the statistics say 90% of most people in marriages or in relationships have been attracted to other people without talking about it. You know, I mean, there was an attraction. Now, what they did with that, you know, if, if you have put uh, boundaries in place and accountability in place, or even honesty, where you say, honey, I, I'm feeling something towards that person. Have you created that culture in your relationship? So you could say that to your husband or your wife or husband. I I, I don't want to be left alone with that situation. You know, being honest. That's right. Because um, a lot of people are just not honest. They just want to pretend like, oh, but you, you're my number one, you this and that. But in their heart, there's something else going on. And I just believe, you know, we have to be honest about that. Um, I, most of us know the 23rd Psalms. But the, it says he restores my soul. Why? Because many people's souls and affections and emotions, they've been damaged. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. So from that place, a lot of people are making decisions and thinking they're strong enough to go on. And I can handle this and I can handle that. And then you find yourself, you know, kind of moving towards this, this you know, intellectual affair or this emotional affair. And you don't even know how you got there. Because you, you you weren't honest and you needed the shepherd to do some more working on you. Oh, that's such a good word, John. Such a great word. Thank you for that. Now, I know that you guys have been married for 35 years, which in this day and time is like 150 years. Okay. Um, it's a long time. And um, and you're still in love. I've known you guys for a very long time. And the same Mark and Dawn that I knew 20 plus years ago is the same. You guys are the same today. So I want you to tell us, how do you keep it sexy for 35 years? Like, how do you keep your marriage fun and passionate and exciting? And how do you keep your sex life exciting? And, you know, because so many people are like, oh, yeah, that was for when we were younger. But like, not be all up in your bedroom. But I think you guys are satisfied, right? Like, you're satisfied. Give us good, good, good. Okay, I was waiting. (laughs) So give us some wisdom here. Like, how are you? Are you satisfied, Pastor? I'm satisfied. (laughs) My soul is satisfied. My soul. <laughs> the soul, see? You make love regularly. 
we make love regularly. I mean, and one of the things I learned early in marriage is making love is not limited to intercourse. So making love is uh, is being kind and, and it's being tactile. It's being affirming. Um, Kevin, Dr. Kevin, Kevin Lehman wrote this book, Sex Begins in the Kitchen. So I would, I would, I would advise every husband, every man to help his wife. You know, she's struggling. Do the dishes, sweep the floor, take out the trash. If you've got children, make them do it. But the point is take as much off of her as possible. You know, I, I don't have a very large cooking repertoire, but that which I have, I offer to her from time to time. And she is so thankful. She is so relieved that, you know, uh, when she comes home or a different certain time of the day when she's got all these expectations to do all of these, you know, domestic things, I've partnered with her. I've taken that off her ta- uh, th- the table. I've, I've taken our children out of the house. I, I, can, I, I can sense that she needs some time alone or she's working on a project and she needs quiet. Okay, guys, let's go. So it's the little things like that, that, you know, uh, many years ago, James Ingram wrote a song, 100 Ways, Love Her 100 Ways. And that just literally, he was literally saying in this song, find so many, find, find the big things, but also find the little things that matter to her. And when you start early in the day and when you make it a part of your day, this is what I do. I'm here to serve you. One of the things we say about marriage with the one word definition we have is selfless. So when mm-hmm. I can get into her world and see where she's being anxious or seeing where she's being, you know, overworked or where she's being stressed and I can partner, I can help lift that load. I can carry that load. Let me tell you something at the end of the day, when the munchkins are put away to bed or, or sometimes, you know, we, we used, I remember we used to thank the Lord. We used to have our, our parents take them for the weekend and they would love, they would have loved their time with grandma and grandpa and we would love it too. But it was during those times that, you know, that we would have together, then then we can really build and maintain our intimacy because it didn't start with just us being alone. No, it started when in the, in the major hustle and bustle of our day and helping her deal with the stress and all the things that she had to deal with. And that's really kind of what one of the things that made our passion come alive. Yes. But the that's other good. thing I think um, as the wife and, uh, and the, the female in the relationship, I think that there are certain things that I have to do to, keep my husband interested. And Mm -hmm. I think that many wives, you know, they, you know, okay, so you have a couple of kids and you got this extra weight. You got, somebody took my body. That's what I said after I had kids. Someone Mm -hmm. took my body and left me with this. (laughs) 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 So, okay. So now I have this new body. I've got all these other things, but I, that doesn't mean I stop working on me. And so one thing that most men want what other men want, so mm. as the wife, I feel a responsibility to, to keep myself looking a certain way, to keep my hair nice, keep my nails nice, keep my weight down, smell nice, um, do those things. You know, like I heard an old time preacher say, what a lot of women need to do is become the other woman, you know, become the other woman. You know, if he's looking that way, you say, oh, he likes that. I got you. Oh, he likes it. I, you know, so I'm saying that so many, you know, they get older, they and they just lose their luster, they lose their ability to to, to still make it make it happen, make it, you know, why why should I? I mean, eat right, drink water, rest, do those things to keep yourself youthful and young so that you can 
Because when you when you're intimate with your husband, it's work. It's a lot of work. You gotta have yes, energy ma'am. to do do yes, all of these. Ma'am. You know, <laughs> swing from a chandelier. <laughs> <and all. laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's work. And and you know, you don't want to. Um, I've heard some wives say, "My husband won't bathe." And and my heart just breaks because I'm like, oh my god, you know. Well, draw, draw him a bath and 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 invite him in. Uh, you get in and and ask him to join. I mean, you you have to be creative. Get that ambiance going. Create an atmosphere and be honest and say, honey, I really like it when you, you know. Mm-hmm. But you can't pretend. After a while, the lies, you know, it just destroys. And I feel like lies and secrets are enemies of intimacy. That's good. Lies and secrets tear us apart. But if I'm honest and say, honey, I really like it when you do this or that or whatever, you know, being honest. So I feel like those are some of the things that we do. We prioritize good hygiene. We work together. We make dates. And we're going to try some new things this year where it will be his night, her night. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, after 35 years, you're saying that we're going to try some new things. things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, listen, 35 years, it's easy for you to be like, okay, we made it. Now we're just going to coast. But the fact that you all are still saying that we're learning about each other, we're still willing to be creative and curious about each other and still keeping our marriage alive. And this is the message that I want to get out to the world. Like we've been told for so many years that marriage is hard work. And yes, it's true. It's true. But marriage is also beautiful and it's fun and it's exciting and it's creative. And I don't think that that story has been told enough. So you guys live that story. And I think everybody who knows you, they can see that. They can just see, just like what you said, you know, we are constantly growing and we're constantly developing to go back to your word from earlier. And so I just appreciate your example. I appreciate what you do and how you live and just for how you're always encouraging, whether it's locally or you're actually teaching other couples or even other couples that you might not even know who are just watching you, who are like I was when I was 13, 14, and just looking for an example out there. And I think of other couples, um, if if other couples really caught that, like, wow, someone is watching me. I am someone's inspiration. And then I think that we can go back to being selfless and realizing that, yeah, I might not be happy this week or this month, but it's not all about my own happiness. It's about building a relationship where I can grow and I can develop and I can help to develop my spouse where we can actually, you know, live this marriage that other people want to emulate. So thank you both so much. Um, just for everything that you've given to the families of our community here in Hampton Roads, Virginia and beyond, because I know that your reach is very broad. So if someone wants to reach out to you, how can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? You can. Well, we just we recently wrote a book, Dana. It's called Raising Them Special. We have two special needs sons and we wrote a book um, to parents and to caretakers who are also in the special needs community. So um it's called, the book is called Raising Them Special, and you can uh, you can email us at raisingthemspecial at gmail.com. And yeah, and you can, purchase, you can purchase the book on Amazon. Awesome. Okay, great. And I will link to your book in the show notes of this podcast and also to the book you recommended by Kevin Lehman as well. So thank you guys so very much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. So, so grateful for them. 
You know, as I stated in the intro, there are so many people who are watching your life. Now, for some of you, that's a scary thought. You're like, don't look over here. You know, I saw a t-shirt once that was like, don't follow me, follow Jesus. And that is partly true. But there are people who are watching your life. If you're married, there are people who are watching your marriage. And so what kind of story are you telling them? How are you inspiring that person who's looking to you for hope, who's looking to you for guidance? And again, like I said before, the Lawrences have just been such a great model for so many of us. So thanks again, Lawrences. I really, really appreciate you guys. So listen up, guys. We have several more episodes in this series called All About Sex. Coming up, I have an amazing conversation with the one and only Sheila Gregoire, who wrote the very popular syndicated blog, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. So stay tuned for that. And also be sure that we are following each other on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Real Relationship Talk or on Facebook at The Real Relationship Talk. I would love to hear from you and I would love to receive your questions. So if you have any marriage or relationship questions, keep sending those my way. You can send those to Q and A, that's the letter Q, the word and, and then the letter A, Q&A at DanaShea.com. Well, that is it for today's show please be sure to rate this podcast. I know I say that every week, and so some of you, it's become white noise. But if you've never rated or maybe even written a review for the podcast, I would so appreciate that. Some of you listen every single week. You're sharing the podcast with others. So do write a review. It helps other people to find this podcast and to be encouraged in their marriages and relationships just like you. So thanks so much for listening. You can also find this podcast over on YouTube. So be sure to visit me, follow me on YouTube, where I will have the video of the audio version of the podcast available to you over there. So simply go to realrelationshiptalk.com slash videos, and that will take you to my YouTube channel, and you can watch the podcast live. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. You all have a great week, and I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.